teach us. Change us by the truth of your word so that we think your thoughts and know your ways so that we can be a light in this world of darkness. Thank you, Father, for making it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is talking about the devil's attack against Israel, his desire to defeat the the people of God. And there are some things that are uh, relative in this 12th chapter to just the tribulation period of time. That's the time when the church will already be in heaven enjoying the presence of God. But then there are also some things that relate to the people of God or the church prior to the tribulation period taking place. So I'm going to pull a couple of scriptures out of here, beginning with verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Because he knows that he has a short time. The Bible indicates that there will be an increase in the devil's activity against the church, against the people of God, because he knows that the time is short. Now, once the tribulation period starts, there are seven years that, how do we say, the clock runs out on. But the devil knows some of what we know as well in our day, in this time, and that is we're getting close to the return of Jesus. The Bible also tells us that there are things that the devil would do right now concerning the revealing of the Antichrist, for example, but he's not able to because the church is still here on the earth. Now, the church is disjointed as as we are worldwide. The presence of the Holy Ghost in us is still enough to stop the devil from doing his greatest work. That's not because the church is praying. That's not because the church is walking in righteousness. It's not because the church believes everything about the, what Jesus accomplished for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's just because we're here. The presence of God in the church is sufficient to keep the devil from doing his greatest work. Notice verse um, 17, I believe it is. And the dragon, which is talking about the devil, as it was illustrated earlier in the chapter, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So it's not talking just about Israel. It's talking about the church. It's talking about the people of God, those that have the testimonies of Jesus. Well, you can't have a testimony of Jesus without Jesus being in your heart. So we see that the devil is increasing in his activity. We see that the devil intends to bring destruction on the people of God, the family of God, the church of God, in every possible way. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
Paul identifies some things about the last days. Beginning in verse 1, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. This word perilous means dangerous, but it also has some other meanings as well. One of the meanings of this word perilous is strength reducing. And then he talks about the behaviors of men. He identifies the self, the, well, literally the selfishness, the self-absorption of the people of the end times and the dishonesty in the behavior of men in the church, men in the world. Some of this will bleed over into the church as well. But he goes to great lengths to describe how that evil will increase in the last days because we're in the last days. Now I'm going to skip down a little further into the chapter. Beginning in verse 12, Paul talks about the persecution that he's been under and that the whole church is experiencing. But in verse 12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is the only thing that the Bible tells us that the believer will suffer here on this earth. Persecution. Not suffer with sickness, not suffer with disease, not suffer with poverty or tragedy or calamity. But the only suffering that the church the people of God should expect is persecution. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, how are people going to wax worse and worse? There's only two ways that we can identify this. One is, there will be new evil that men have not devised up until the last days, and that will be worse than anything that's happened before. Well, there's no sin that man hadn't already dreamed up. It's not like there's a brand new set of rules or, or sins that we can expect to, to witness in the last days. So therefore, the worse and worse that men will experience has to be the widespread evil. In other words, more evil through more individuals. You remember in, in Jesus' day, after he was born, and Herod found out about this new king that was born into the earth, he commanded all the children from age two and under to be destroyed. What horrible evil that is. How do you get worse than that? No, men will wax worse and worse because of the widespread activity of evil. We see that taking place around us. We see people willing to participate in evil deeds everywhere we look. So he says men will wax worse and worse. In other words, the devil will increase his activity and have a greater influence through the number of people that are taking sides with him and promoting his agenda. Now, folks, God uses ministers in different ways. He uses people in different ways, and he uses churches in different ways. Not every church has the same um, commandment 
when it comes to ministry. Some churches are more evangelistic than others and so forth. Churches will focus on things primarily according to the pastor that is leading that congregation. One of the things that the Lord instructed us to do, and we have done from the beginning and will always do, is teach people how to build their lives on the truth of the word. Not all churches do that. Not all churches have teaching pastors. But that's one of the things, really the main thing, that the Lord has commissioned us to do. And as a result, I'm responsible for teaching what Paul called the whole, the whole counsel of God. You know as well as I do that there are a lot of people in the church world that don't believe in healing. Or they may believe all around it. What I mean by that is they may believe that God can heal. Well, that doesn't take any faith. They may believe that God sometimes heals. Well, that doesn't take any faith either. But we believe that Jesus died not only for the sins of mankind, but also through the stripes that he took on his back. He healed us, physical healing. We also believe that Jesus took the chastisement or the punishment of our peace upon him. And as a result, the blessing of Abraham concerning provision and prosperity belongs to us as well. Now, if a believer, if a Christian doesn't believe in healing or doesn't believe in prosperity, that doesn't mean they're going to hell. It just means they're going to experience a little bit more hell here on the earth before Jesus comes. <laughs> One of the things that is such a glaring need and necessity to me in my eyes and one of the ways that people seem to be so in the dark so many people not everybody thank God but when it comes to the devil's operation in governments this has been a very interesting last few years for me because of the response that I've gotten from people when I talk about politics. I've got people that want me to quit talking about politics altogether so that I can focus on teaching the word. Folks, there's no difference between teaching the word on any particular subject, any given subject, and teaching the word where politics is concerned. I've had people say that well, Paul never talked to the, the church about voting. <laughs> well, that's true. He never did. But when has the church ever really had the opportunity to vote or determine their own form of government before America came along? The wisdom of the founding fathers to establish a republic is astounding. So many of the founding fathers called it providence 
In other words, they recognized that the hand of God was upon them to create this new republic, this new country, and to establish a form of government that is determined by the people who will be governed by it. When the devil identifies to Jesus when he tempted him that he was in charge of the governments of the world, the kingdoms of the world. If that wasn't truth, then Jesus would have called him out for being a liar about his claim. But Jesus recognized that the devil had authority where kingdoms were concerned. Now part of the commandment that we have here at Foothill Family Church to teach so that people can build and become strong Christians and live their lives based on the word. That's part of the authority that we have as believers. Now, if you happen to be one of those believers that believe in the forgiveness of sins, but not in healing and not in God's provision for his people, you're never going to be strong in all the areas that God wants you to be. You can be strong in your understanding of forgiveness of sins. But you're never going to be strong in all the things that Jesus paid the price for, for us to have. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a place where we're either not experiencing God's blessing as it's identified and specified in the word what are we to do in those situations well the bible says that those things that keep us from believing god and all the counsel of god are strongholds in our minds in other words we have to change our thinking now there are people that watch us and follow us and i'm glad they do but there are people that are willing to follow us in our teaching on healing and our teaching on God's provision or prosperity. But they refuse to follow us when it comes to the truth of the work of the devil in politics. It, it's not a surprise to me that politics is one of Satan's greatest avenues of operation because there is no liar like a politician. <laughs> and Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. Well, why would somebody expect, or how could somebody come to understand that I'm teaching the truth where healing is concerned, but not teaching the truth in politics? I use the same Bible as foundation for both teachings, both subjects. If you're convinced that I'm lying or misleading people in the area of politics, then what makes you think I'm a safe guide to follow when the area of healing is concerned? If I don't know the voice of the Holy Ghost in one area, how am I going to be trusted to know his voice in another? But people don't like to think like that. So many people are thinking the things that they want to think and believing the things they want to think because they want to. 
So here we are in this day and time experiencing and witnessing things that we've never seen before in our country. We've got a great percentage of people, I hope it's not half the country, but it looks like it's getting close to it, that are willing to do and say anything and everything they have to to gain power. They're bullies just like the devil is. And their message for us is shut up and do what you're told. That's a lot like how the devil works, isn't it? Turn with me to Psalm 37. There are some things that the Lord has brought to my attention and laid on my heart that I want you to see. Psalm 37 starts off and tells us that it's a psalm of David. We don't know too much about this psalm in in, uh, the context of when it was that he wrote this. Verse 25 says, I was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. So that would indicate to us that this is later in David's life. Perhaps not a psalm that's in response to a particular event or occurrence, but just something that David is looking back toward the end of his life and revealing or speaking to. So here's the Psalm of David. He starts off and he says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. This word fret means to glow or to get hot. He says, don't get hot about the things that evildoers are doing. That doesn't mean roll over and lay down and let them do it. But he says, don't get hot about it. Now, folks, stick with me for a little bit here. Notice why David says that. Fret not thyself because of evildoers neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. How many of you can say that that brings comfort to you? Think about what's comforting you. Think about what of this is comforting you. David says, don't be afraid of, or don't worry about and get heated up by the evildoers around you and the work that they're doing because they're all going to die. I know that doesn't sound as good as cut down like the grass. But is that not what David's saying? Don't worry about evildoers. They're going to die. Folks, I'm a real law and order type person. I believe in justice. Thank God we also can believe in mercy. Amen. 
But one of the things, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you follow me in this, either in my attitude or the way you live and conduct your life. But one of the things that bugs me about the activity that's taking place to steal the election, one of the things that bugs me about that is that if the Democrats steal this election, if they turn out on top, come out on top, then all the things that we know of that have been wrong and unlawful over the last four years will never be rectified. See, there are people I want to see handcuffed and walked into prison. Now, people get upset when I say things like that. Some people do. And to them, I say, bless your darling heart. But folks, the reality is this. If justice doesn't prevail over this last election, then America has seen its last fair election. And as such, I think we need to be wise enough. Either way, whichever way it goes, we need to be wise enough to recognize that persecution is in our future. It's the work of the devil that's identified. He's coming after the church. If this election, fair and honest, turns out to give President Trump a second term, we still need to be wise enough to recognize that persecution is still just around the corner. So here's David. Fret not yourself. Don't get heated up because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Now there are other psalms of David that were written while he was in the midst of trouble. You remember the story of David, how that he was anointed to be king while Saul was still king. And as a result, Saul chased him, persecuted him, did everything he could to try to kill David. And there were a lot of times during the midst of that struggle that David was crying out to the Lord for justice, pleading his case to, as being upright and honest and righteous. But he was still persecuted. Here in Psalm 37, David, after having been made king and serving as king for many years, he's able to look back with a lot more patience and understanding than he showed or exhibited when he was in the midst of the trouble. It's easy to talk about the goodness of God after you are through the trial and you've come out on the other side of the test. 
during the midst of the test, the midst of the trial, we may be or at least may feel like we're hanging on just by our fingernails. But then after it's over and we look back, we see that we were never really in danger because God was on our side. Let's read some more of this, uh, this song. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. This word trust means to use God as a refuge. David wrote in uh, a couple of other psalms that he gave us that the Lord was a high tower. Well, that tower is a place of refuge. And for us, trusting in the Lord or running to God as our refuge is running to his word. It's taking the word and putting it in practice in our lives. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord. This word delight means to be soft or pliable. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Where it's talking about giving you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean he fulfills all your desires. It means he puts his desires in you. See, the more we walk in the word, the more we confess the word as a part of our daily existence. The more we put the word in practice, the more we conform, are conformed to the image of Christ. And the more we want the things of God because he's in us. See, this verse isn't talking about God delivering anything to you. It's talking about God putting his desires in you. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Verse 5 is the one where he delivers to you those things that you desire. Commit thy way unto the Lord. The word commit means to roll over. Roll those things over unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So here's God's method of bringing you into the fullness of his blessing. As we begin putting the word of God in practice in our lives, the desires of our heart change to the desires that we see God has in his word. And then as we commit our way unto him or let him direct our paths, then he brings those things to pass. God always works from the inside out. So our, conform, our desires conforming to his will and to his word that we found for ourselves through meditating in the word. Those desires then become the things that he accomplishes in our daily walk. Verse 6, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Remember, this is all while the evildoers are doing their thing. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. The word rest means to quiet yourself down. 
to quiet yourself down. There's two ways you can gain peace, no matter what the situation is around you, no matter what the difficulty or the adversity, whether it's small or great or whatever it is, two ways you can always maintain peace in your life. One is by encouraging yourself in the Word, reminding yourself of what the Word of God says about you in the middle of your situation. And in the second way is speaking in other tongues or praying in other tongues, not praying necessarily for something or about something, just praying until your mind gets still. Best way to fall asleep at night, especially if you have trouble sleeping, best way to fall asleep at night is to speak in tongues till you fall asleep. You'll find out something about that. You'll find that the devil, who would love to keep you up and, and keep you sleep-deprived, will not help you to stay awake while you're speaking in tongues. <laughs> you remove him from the equation altogether. And then when your mind gets quiet, sleep comes. So rest in the Lord. Quiet yourself in the Lord through his word and through prayer. And wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself. Here's this word fret again. Don't get heated up. Because of him that prospers in his way. Because the man who, wing, who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Here's this word fret again. David seems to be teaching us or encouraging us that no matter what's going on around us, no matter what evildoers are doing or what evil evildoers do, don't let ourselves get heated up about it. Maintain peace. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. Remember, they're going to die. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. The word inherit means to dispossess, to occupy something that your enemy once had. Remember, Jesus told the disciples to occupy till he comes. That is the work of the church until Jesus comes back to get us. To occupy, to take over, to dispossess land, territory, boundaries that your enemy either now has, is occupying or in the past had and take possession of those things. Folks, God made this world for you and me, not for the devil and his crowd. David doesn't seem to be of the opinion that evildoers and the work of evildoers as being sufficient to keep you out of the things of God. See, folks, if this election is stolen, I don't know about you, but it's not going to change the way I live. Amen. I'll be under a lot more regulations and rules and dictator type stuff as we all will but it's not going to change anything about me and God 
It won't change any of the promises of God that have been made. It won't change my faith in the promises that God made to us. It'll just make things much more difficult for the country. And it'll open a door, maybe not the door, but at least a door to the persecution that the devil is prophesied to take against the church. I'm going to come back to Psalm 37 in just a moment. But I want to remind you of something in Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 said, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it's a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. There's a shaking of nations that's coming. I believe it's already started. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The desire of all nations is the sons of God being manifested. As I said before, God made the earth for his people, not for the devil and his crowd. And as a result, the earth is waiting for the church to stand up and do the works of Jesus and be the character of Jesus in the earth. That's what the earth is groaning and travailing about, according to Paul. The earth has been under a curse since the fall of Adam and Eve. That's not what it was made for. And because it was made by the word of God and everything God's word accomplishes is infused with life. The earth itself is looking for the church to step up and be in the earth just like Jesus was. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. It's identifying that the church in the last days will be a place of peace. And it almost implies that the church may be the only place of peace there is. Now, uh, let me ask you a question. Tell me why this prophecy in Haggai, which speaks to the glory of God, which speaks to the power of God being made manifest, which speaks of doing the works of Jesus in the earth, the people of God doing the works of Jesus in the earth. Why does he talk about the silver and gold in the middle of it? It's almost like he's merging a new thought rather than expounding on the previous thought. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Why is he talking about silver and gold? It has to have some connection to the glory of God. 
Why is he talking about silver and gold? See, so much of the church world would tell you that material things shouldn't be compared to the things, the spiritual things that God has given or has promised to us. Well, he's the one that said it. He's the one that said the silver and gold is mine. Folks, I can't help but believe that there are great financial miracles that are ahead for the church as a part of the glory of God being made manifest. Why else would he say the silver and gold was his? It's almost like he's saying, I don't think that silver is, I don't think that the glory of God is just this spiritual unseen thing. But that it includes the silver and gold that's here on the earth. Then you've got scriptures like Proverbs chapter 13, verse 32, I think it is, where it says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. That seems to indicate or imply a transfer, doesn't it? The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Now, how is that going to take place? I don't know. I have no idea. But at the very least, we should recognize that it's there. And at the very least... We should extend our faith as far as we can. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So we may not be able to go much further in our faith than just saying, Now, Lord, you said this. Hasten your word to bring it to pass. Back to Psalm 37. Verse 10, For yet a little while... And the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place that it shall not be. David's big on this thing about evildoers dying. One of the things that, uh, that the Lord impressed upon me many years ago now was to pray as I was praying for our leaders, praying for our president, and I didn't just start praying for the president when President Trump was elected. I've been praying for presidents ever since Reagan. Before that, I really didn't know that the Bible told me to, so I didn't. And one of the things that the Lord has impressed upon me over those years, I certainly didn't know then in the 80s when President Reagan was in office. I certainly didn't know then what I know now. But one of the things the Lord has impressed upon me in the last several years is to pray that the devil's plans would be exposed. See, the devil works in darkness. All of the devil's works are darkness according to the scripture. And it's hard for him to work when the light's turned on. You ever gone into a place where you walked in the dark and then turned the, the light on and roaches went scattering? That's kind of how the devil is. When the light comes on, 
he runs for cover. So the Lord impressed upon me several years back to begin praying that the plans of the enemy would be exposed and revealed. But that wasn't all he had me to pray. At the same time, he impressed upon me to pray that people's eyes would be opened that are cooperating with the devil's plans and purposes, that are promoting the devil's agenda, that their eyes would be opened so that they could recover themselves and come back to the truth rather than continuing to operate at the devil's will. But then there was a third thing that he had had me to pray, impressed upon me to pray. And really the way this came, folks, is I was praying in other tongues. And I stopped praying in other tongues and began praying what I was praying in other tongues in English. I haven't had that happen to me a whole lot, just a handful of times. But the Lord was wanting me to understand what the Holy Ghost was prompting me to pray in other tongues. So I began praying that the devil's plans would be exposed. And then I heard myself say this as a result. But those who have willingly joined themselves to the devil's agenda, let them come to ruin. Now, I've received some feedback on that. And I've had some Christians tell me that that's an unchristian way to pray. Well, it's better than praying that they die, isn't it? (laughs) The Holy Ghost has saved us a bunch of scriptures where David is saying, don't worry about people, they're going to die. Don't worry about evildoers, they're going to die. Paul got caught up in this too. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures that Paul wrote to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I was just starting verse 18. He said, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightst war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Spiritualize that. Paul says of these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, we don't know too much about them other than the fact that they've withstood Paul and the preaching of the gospel. So he writes to Timothy and says, Now, Timothy, I've turned over Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's exactly what he did when he wrote to the, uh, the Corinthians, the Corinthian church in the first letter that he wrote. You remember there was a guy that was living openly with his stepmom as husband and wife. Paul chews the church out a little bit for allowing that to happen. And not standing up and doing something about it. But then he does something about it. He says, I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Notice it's Satan that destroys the flesh, not God. So he says, I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. See, folks, dying early is better than staying on the wrong track and losing your salvation. 
How'd this turn out? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's imploring Timothy to come see him. <clears throat> this is just another couple of, of years after the first letter. Verse 13, he said, The cloak that I left at Troas in Car with Carpus, when you come, bring with you, and the books, but especially the parchments. Apparently, Paul had written down his revelation and had them in some kind of books. Wish we had those. Then he says in verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he has greatly withstood our words. So Paul turns Alexander over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy. Then a couple of years later, he writes and says, Alexander, the same guy he was talking about before, Alexander the coppersmith, which may put him in Ephesus and part of the crowd that got upset when Paul was preaching Jesus and Jesus only as the God you serve. Nevertheless, Alexander is still alive. Don't know about Hymenaeus. But Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord rewarded me according to his works. What does that mean? That means God doesn't always kill people as quick as you want. That's kind of tongue-in-cheek because God doesn't kill people. But it's the way we sometimes feel, isn't it? Isn't it a good thing that God doesn't put the entirety of his power in our hands? Now, if he would, I'd clear this thing up pretty quick. The mandate of the church, believe or I kill you. <laughs> I could channel my inner Ahmed. I, I dare say that 90% of the crowd doesn't know who I'm talking about. There's a ventriloquist guy by the name of Jeff Dunham. This guy is hilarious. And one of the puppets he use, uses is a skeleton, but not a human-type skeleton. It's a caricature. And he calls him Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. <clears throat> and it's hilarious. <clears throat> and his main, his main line, Ahmed's main line is, Silence, I kill you. So that's what that was about. No spiritual significance whatsoever. But Paul's pretty close to that, isn't he? Let's remove the people that are in our way. But that's not the way that it's supposed to go. Thank God his mercy is greater than ours. Let me get back to Psalm 37 again. Let's pick up in verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. 
Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth. It's the second time he's talked about inheriting the earth. Again, this word inherit, same word all four times it's used in this Psalm 37. Same word to dispossess or to occupy something that was your enemies. Now for David, who we believe is inspired by the Holy Ghost to write these things to us, we certainly know the miraculous well, maybe we don't know. Maybe some of us are not familiar enough with the miracles that God performed to keep these documents for us so that we could have the Bible that we have. But if you read the history of it, the history of the Bible, you can't come away with anything less than recognizing that the book that we have is a miracle. It doesn't just tell us of a miracle working God. It shows us the miraculous just to provide for us a word that he can confirm. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Meek means teachable. It means, not, it means willing to not always have your way. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that the righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the, the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine shall, they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth. Now, folks, if the Holy Spirit inspired David to write these things, then the Holy Spirit must really be interested in us knowing that the, work, the earth is supposed to be ours. It belongs to us. The riches and the resources of the world are ours or for us. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that, be, they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. And yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and, hath forsake, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. 
The righteous shall inherit the land. Here it is again. Dispossess the enemy. Occupy what he once occupied. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeketh to slay him. But the Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Here it is again. The word wait means to bind yourself together with God as with a rope. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passes away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold, the upright. For the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. And he is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. And he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Folks, I believe it's important in the days that we live in to understand what's going on around us. It's important for us to recognize the devil in his work. For if the church can't see the work of the devil and identify it, how can we ever expect there to be a change? Every word that God has spoken, he has promised to deliver and confirm. You think about it, there's really only one reason for God's word in the first place. Why do we have a record of God's word? Why do we have this Bible that is such a supernatural force? that contains words, spirit words, and words of life? Why do we have the promises of God enumerated to us in Scripture? There's only one reason. The only reason that God gives us his word is so that he'll have something to perform. In other words, his word is given to us so that he can bring it to pass. And when it comes to pass... We who are the holders of his word can see that it was him that did it. There is no reason for any scripture other than for God to perform what he said he'd do. I'm going to close in Revelation chapter 20. Beginning in verse 7. The revelation is taken, I mean, the tribulation has taken place. Jesus returns in power, rules the, the world and the nations of the world with a rod of iron for uh, uh, 1,000 days during the millennium. And in verse 7, Revelation chapter 20, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is, 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 is as the sand of the sea. 
And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil is going to get his. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. That phrase has always impressed me. I, I saw the dead, small and great. Small and great how? Based on the things they did on the earth? People that weren't known as well as famous people. Everybody faces the same end. Those that are exerting power, governmental force. To change the country into something the people don't want it to be. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were delivered up, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, for all of my leanings toward judgment, for all of the people that have done harm purposefully against our country, I don't wish that for anybody. God doesn't wish that for anybody. The lake of fire wasn't, wasn't made or created for humans. It was created for the devil and his angels. Sometimes people ask questions like, how could a loving God send somebody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. God honors your choice to go. God said very specifically that as truly as I live, the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It will happen. There's no force in heaven, earth, or hell that can stop it. God has spoken it. It shall be. But God in his mercy... doing everything he can 
to influence people to make the right choice. To make a choice for Jesus as their Savior. Has planned before these things take place. For there to be a great moving of the Spirit of God in the earth. A moving of the Spirit of God that will cause the church to rise up. And do the works of Jesus. To manifest the glory of God. In and through us. So that multitudes of people can escape. This terrible judgment. And come into the family of God. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan. That's God's will. God would have all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as truly as God will bring these things to pass regarding judgment, just as truly he shall bring about a moving of the Spirit of God that will sweep millions of people into his kingdom. Now what's going to happen when that moving of God takes place? Persecution. We need to be prepared for it. We need to walk with God and operate our lives from a foundation of his word in such a manner that when these things occur, when the persecution comes, when or if our country turns to socialism or communism or any other form of government that we who know our God can walk unaffected by that. I don't like the idea that the America could be weakened by socialism or communism but the reality is when Russia and the coalition of armies and nations kick off the tribulation period by invading Israel. The Bible indicates that there's no other nation on the earth, including America, that step in to defend Israel. There's only two possibilities why that could be. Either America doesn't have the military might to help, or it doesn't have the will to get involved. Both of those situations are vastly different from what we have today. So there must be a change that will affect America detrimentally in such a manner. What do we do? We get prepared for it. We live our lives based on our trust in Jesus, not our trust in, in government or a president or any other such leader. We get ourselves ready for the things to come. Folks, it's just as important for me to tell you these things as it is to tell you about the blessings of God and how to take hold of them. We've got to get ourselves ready. We've got to come to the place 
where our relationship with God is such that it won't change no matter what happens around us. Because things are going to change around us. Let's all stand. Let's close with a confession this morning. Say this after me. Because I've set my love upon him. He will deliver me. Because I've known his name. He will set me on high. When I call upon him. He answers me. He is with me in trouble. He delivers me. And he honors me. With long life. He satisfies me and shows me his salvation. I bless you, Lord, with all of my soul, and I forget not all your benefits. You forgive all my iniquities. You heal all my diseases. You redeem my life from destruction and crown me with loving kindness and tender mercy. Hallelujah. 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 Father, reveal your word to us in a greater and greater way. Each and every day. Draw us near unto yourself, Father. That we can be a light in this world. And that we may do the works of Jesus. We bless you, Father. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that the church will be filled with glory. And that glory shall encompass the earth. Thank you, Father, that the silver and gold is yours. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to you. We thank you, Father, for miracles of healing. We thank you for financial miracles. We thank you, Father, for the glory of God that will be greater in the church in the last days than it was when the church began. Father, we pray for our president. We pray that you would strengthen him. He's fighting a good fight, Father. And he's fighting it on our behalf. So we call the power of heaven to his aid. We thank you for divine wisdom for him and for his counselors. We thank you, Father, for giving them wisdom to know what steps to take to accomplish your will your plan, and your purpose. Father, we pray that you would expose the plans of the enemy. You would reveal those things that are done in, the, in secret. That the light of God would shine on the things that the devil is doing. And that you would affect your will and your purpose in the earth. Father, we ask you for the rain, just like you told us to. Give us the rain of the Holy Ghost. 
so that the biggest change would be in us. That we would speak your word boldly by showing forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders would be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the peace of God that's ours, no matter what happens, no matter what comes. We commit our weight unto you, Lord, knowing that we're praying according to your will, trusting you to bring it to pass. Thank you, Father, for hastening your word to perform it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These are exciting times, folks. Perilous times for some, but not for us. Because we're strengthened by his word and guided by his spirit. Hallelujah. It's good to be able to read the back of the book and see that we win. <laughs>